Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my pretty partner, Ravinder, and our lovely chat room monitor, Andrea, await you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. You're going to want to get into the chat room today. We have a great show for you. And I do love our chat room, and we have some truly great folks that join us each week. So, Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. We do have a great chat room, and both Andrea and I are normally in there five ten minutes early getting the the chat warmed up and greeting everyone as they come through the door um it's a great group of people and it adds a great dimension to the radio show um and it's a perfect place to ask questions if you're too shy to call in which i know lots of our chat rubies are but i often get their questions on the air so that's absolutely perfect do come join me that's provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat all right, in this week's Spotlight, we turn our attention to the stranger within. Now think about that for a moment. Do you really know yourself? Have you ever taken an inventory of your beliefs, your ideas, your personal story, if it were told honestly by someone else? Who are you really? In my book, Choices and Illusions, the notion of several selves is explored. There are at least four self-representations that we all live with. They are the actual self, the ideal self, the ought self, and the desired self. And every one of us rehearses our different roles at some time in our lives, practicing how we will stand, the things we will say, our hand gestures, and so forth. So it's no wonder that when you put your jeans and canvas shoes on that you behave differently than when you are all dressed up in your Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. And I do mean that you behave differently, almost like a chameleon, changing colors to blend into the background. Our clothing can change our demeanor, our attitudes, and even our language patterns. So how many selves are there? And this says nothing about our spiritual self. We'll add one more entry to the fray. Researchers at UCLA suggest that there is a significant emotional disconnect between our present and future selves. And further, largely because of this disconnect, we fail to adequately prepare for the future. We do not see ourselves as we might look 30, 40, 50 years into the future. Perhaps this is one of the reasons so many resist accepting the aging process, to say nothing of failing to financially plan for what's ahead. Quoting from UCLA's online newsroom, Hal Hirschfield of UCLA and his collaborators collaborators from Stanford have been able to document that disconnect using fMRI technology. They compared the neural patterns in the brains of subjects who were asked to describe their current selves, their future selves 10 years hence, as well as other people. Across the board, the neural patterns evoked from thinking about future self were most similar to the patterns that arose when thinking about another person. In other words, on a brain level, the future self looked like another person. 
and the research participants who had the biggest differences in brain activations, that is, the people for whom the future self looked most like a stranger, another person, they were the ones who were the least patient about making a financial decision during an exercise, meaning that they weren't willing to wait for larger financial rewards later on. Close quote. By contrast, those who worked with a computer that aged their photographs were about twice as likely to accept long-term hypothetical gains from savings. Now, this research has caught the eyes of many, including Merrill Lynch and Dan Goldstein of Microsoft. Merrill Lynch has an online method for aging yourself using a webcam photo. It's called Face Retirement, and you can access it at faceretirement.com. MerrillEdge.com. Let me give that to you again. It's faceretirement.merrilledge.com. Now, as for Microsoft, they're working on wireless scales that can combine a subject's height, weight, waist size, and so forth to create an avatar of what you will look like if you choose the wrong foods, fail to exercise, and otherwise maintain healthy habits. The idea is that subjects will get an email every day reflecting the direction they are headed in based on their activities. And, of course, a lovely picture as well. Perhaps we could all do well to begin integrating the many selves into one dynamic being, traveling through time in this spatial dimension. For, after all, in the end, I suppose that's who we are. Thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Oh, I find the whole subject fascinating, but right this moment, I want to go and find this uh, place online where you can watch yourself age. You haven't done that yet? No, I haven't. I'm having problems finding it, but as soon as I find it, I'm going to post the URL in our chat room too, so everyone else can check it out, because I, I think that's cool. But this idea of different selves, you know, I think oftentimes girls can have an advantage, because for me, whenever I'm feeling insecure or a little bit off balance I'll put on my makeup I'll put on my heels and I'll put on a front that no one can see through so uh yeah there are I mean there are definitely times when yeah I, I, I think guys do the same thing I mean you know yeah put on your power suits those sexy suits I know that's unfair <laughs> <laughs> or we buy that sports car you know the midlife crisis and you know no, anyway, I, pre- yeah. I prefer the suits right. <laughs> I'm a suits girl Okay, every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Christina Donald was our guest during our last live broadcast, and our discussion was all about transcendent dreaming. Brianne wrote, I enjoyed the show with Christina Donald, but I don't get how she can ignore warnings that might save someone's life. Jennifer wrote, I don't understand the jargon your guest was using. What exactly is this different math and quantum interior she spoke of? Richard remarked, I've heard it said by physicists that it's ironic that self-help people use the word quantum so freely, while physicists admit that even they don't get the quantum world. Mark commented, I could see where scientists would have a problem with those who study dreaming using scientific words like mathematics and quantum so loosely. I totally concur, by the way. Elaine wrote, The thing is, when you have a dream, you don't always realize it is going to necessarily happen. I saw the World Trade Center come down in a blip when I lived near it. I thought it could never come down in a blip, so of course I just assumed it was a terrible nightmare. Well, Elaine, it turns out that many people dreamed about the towers coming down. 
Indeed, remote viewers also witnessed the horror well in advance, but no one believed it was real. All right, moving on. Merrill Rodell, and your work is brilliant, and I enjoy all of your posts, although I'm not a major Barry Manilow fan. <laughs> See what you started, oh, Ravinder? Oh, I person. attended one concert with you, and now I'm a Mana fan. Of course you are. Of course you are. He's the king. I mean, he's just wonderful music. A lifetime of music. Michael wrote, <laughs> Dr. Taylor's work is cutting edge and I highly salient for today and highly salient for today's world. His background renders him a highly credible source for information regarding how modern advertising and other entities utilize psychology to their advantage. He then turns the tables and shows us how we can utilize these methods for the welfare of self and others. I highly recommend him and his work. Well, thank you, Michael. And Tabitha wrote, I love your show and I love your inner talk CDs. Well, we love you. We love all of you. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook. And I want to thank all of you for your letters and comments. We truly appreciate your feedback and support. I read all of your emails, and I answer them as well, so please keep them coming. Now to this week's show, Where is the Truth? There are a lot of conspiracy theories out there today covering everything from population control to weather modification. I have spent a large portion of the past four years examining many of them, and this is what I can tell you for certain. There is much more there than you might expect. Several of the so-called conspiracy theories of the past have turned out not to be conspiracy theories at all. Our guest today will discuss a few of the more popular so-called conspiracy theories, and he is definitely qualified to do so. We have spoken to many authors who have interviewed a dozen or so folks, say about something like NDEs or poltergeist phenomena, and because they did this work, we consider them to be somewhat of an expert on the subject matter. Well, enter Mr. George Nury. For more than a dozen years, George has hosted Coast to Coast AM, and during this time alone, he's interviewed more than 3,000 of these experts. Many of them have championed ideas that one might call conspiracy. So who better to sort this matter out for us than the man who has heard it all? George Nury has more than 30 years in the broadcasting field under his belt in such positions as executive television news producer and news director. George brings a wide swath of experience to the table. In fact, at age 28, he was the youngest major news market news director in the country when he was at KMSP-TV in Minneapolis. Then, a few years ago, he came to the attention of Premier Radio Networks, who heard him on his late-night radio program on KTRS in St. Louis, Known as the Nighthawk, George's penchant for covering paranormal topics with enthusiasm and skill impressed Premier, as it should have. He was then brought on board to host the Sunday Night Coast to Coast show. It wasn't long before George became the host of Coast to Coast AM. Today, George is not only the host of Coast to Coast, but also of his own new television show, Beyond Belief. He is also the author or co-author of the book's Someone is hiding something. We'll talk a little bit about that today. George Nury's Late Night Snacks. I love that one. It's a great book. Worker in the Light, Talking to the Dead, Apostle Paul, Antichrist, and Journey to the Light. We're honored to have him join us again. So on that, let's get him in here. Welcome back to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. George Nury. 
This is a switch. I'm on your show now. Yeah, I love it. You know, I do love it. I love coming on your show. In fact, I was telling Kiera, our producer, uh, just before we went on the show, I love going on your show. I love having you on my show. But you are, in my book, the peer. The so whenever I'm going to do this, the palms of my hand begin to perspire. You know, my mouth can get, start to get dry, and I think, "What is the gig with George Nury?" I love it. Well, our audience, uh, Eldon, loves you every time you're on coast to coast, and uh, I mean, the minute you start talking, the phone lines light up, and people want to talk to you. And uh, this is great. I'm looking forward to it. A lot's going on on this planet right now, isn't there? Yeah, there really is. Hey, you heard the spotlight piece, George, about our future self. Do you think most people are alienated from their future self? I mean, they just they don't want to think of themselves as as growing older or, you know, dealing with all of that stuff. You know, Eldon, nobody, nobody wants to think of themselves as getting older. I mean, I look at my life uh, and how quickly time has passed. I mean, here we are in May already. I mean, it was a blink of an eye when we ended 2015, and uh, 15 will be over, and uh, you know, just like that. Uh, some of us are on the home stretch. I mean, if you look at time in terms of uh, linear, I mean, uh, you know, we're all making that turn, right? And uh, yeah. it all depends on how we've taken care of ourselves. But I would say most people just want to get by, live their lives, uh, and uh, and just go on. I, I, I'm amazed with stories of death, for example. Um, the uh, husband of the Facebook executive who died on a treadmill, they were down in Mexico a few weeks, a few days ago, and uh, right. he fell, hit his head, and they found him dead. I mean... Who would think of that, right? You wake up yeah. in the morning, you're feeling great, you're on vacation, you go downstairs to get on a treadmill, and you just don't come back. I mean, yeah. life is too strange. You might as well enjoy it every day. Yeah, you know, I really like the idea of the present moment, living in the moment, and, and cherishing in the moment. And I suppose in that sense, you do distance yourself. But it, as you say, I, it, to me, it was a blink of an eye that we were dealing with Y2K, and I was changing all my computers because of the bias and issues. And, and that was just yesterday. Just yesterday. Yeah. George, I mean, just... we like to establish three things in our interviews. Who is right. the messenger? What is the message? And how do we use it? So to that end, if we may, let's begin by having you tell us about yourself. What were you like as a youngster? What did you want to be when you grew up? And have you fulfilled those childhood ambitions, redefined them, or forgotten all about them? Well, I think I have fulfilled my childhood ambitions, and I continue to every day. Uh, when I was a little boy, I was always interested in the unusual and the supernatural and the mysteries. Always. I mean, I could remember buying books uh, about Edgar Cayce and UFOs and I was a member of NICAP at the time, which was the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. I was just obsessed with this. I had a out-of-body experience at 11 years old, and it was uh, unbelievably weird to me. I didn't know what that was. And I'm bouncing on the ceiling, looking at my body, my 11-year-old body in bed, and at that moment I got jammed right back into my physical body. And I, you know, I went and did some research and some homework, and I found out we didn't have computers, 
So off to the library I went and found out that I had an OBE. And um, Mom was always interested in the unusual, too. She brought me home a book one day when I was a little guy called We Are Not Alone by Walter Sullivan, who was the New York yeah. Times science writer. Um, I digested that. Then, look, magazine, Eldon came out with that interrupted journey story, the abduction case of Barney and Betty Hill. And at, at that age, my life was just focusing on school, these mysteries. Uh, I was in science. I had my laboratory down in the basement. I had a chemistry set. I would do experiments. I would build rockets. I launched baby frogs in the rockets, and they came down with parachutes. <laughs> I mean, I, I, did, I did it all. And then when I got to a certain age, something said to me, you need to unravel these mysteries and these stories. Now, you can't do it just being George Norrie guy or kid. you got to go into broadcasting because people will talk to broadcasters. And so that's what I did. I focused my career to become a broadcaster to do one main thing, and that was to go over these stories and investigate all of these things, ranging from the bizarre, the supernatural, to the stories of science. That's what I wanted to do, and I just never stopped. I'll tell you one quick funny story. No, oh, please. When I was a kid... Um, I built a model rocket with my buddy Gary Frank. My job was to announce the launch to the neighborhood, right? All the kids would come by to watch these things. Okay. Gary's job uh, at my countdown was to push the button and, you know, hook up the little engines. They were solid propellant rocket engines. And that was his job. And so I'm there doing the broadcast to the neighborhood. There's about 20 kids there, and I'm counting it down from 10, and Gary's got the electrodes hooked up to the little solid engines, and he's ready to push the battery button. And, you know, I'd get down to zero. He'd push the button. The rocket would take off. It would come down with a parachute. The neighborhood kids would all cheer. But we'll jump ahead years years and years ahead. George Norrie goes into broadcasting. How ironic, broadcasting these stories to the little people. Gary Frank... My friend who used to work on the little engines built these space shuttle engines. And uh, how life does strange things. Wow. Is that, that's, that's really an interesting story. Did you ever have another OBE, George? No, never have. Can't do it. I've tried. I've had, as you've just said, thousands of guests on Coast to Coast, many of whom have given me tips and techniques. Uh, I haven't been able to do that. But what I have been able to do, Eldon is in my dream state, I have been able to do and accomplish some incredible things. I will go to sleep, think of what I want to do. That's how I got this position at Coast to Coast. I concentrated on those powers that be that, you know, were using me all the time. And I just, you know, kept sending little subliminal dream messages to people. And sure enough, it happened. So I do that. And I do that a, quite a bit. Um, I love that. To I'm going to have myself. to try that one. <laughs> oh, my God. It's an incredible technique. But in terms of a direct OBE again, nope, that was it. The only one. Hmm. That's, that's, how, did you, how did you end up in the Navy? I know you went into the Navy, and, of course, you, 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 uh, you went to college. How did you end up in the Navy? 
Well, this is a, another ironic story. I was one of the first kids at uh, 18 years old or so to get the lottery numbers to go to Vietnam. Oh, yeah, I remember. And I'm in, my, uh, I'm in my last year of college, I believe, and uh, my birthday's June 4th, and they picked a date, and it was 20. I mean, I'm, I'm gone. I'm gone as soon as I graduate. I mean, lottery number 20, you can't get much lower than that. Yeah. And I'm going, well, it is, it is what it is. So when I graduated from college, I went to the draft board, and you know, as, as I was getting my physical, um, they detected a heart murmur. And uh, the doctor said, we can't take you. You're 4F. And I said, and he said, you should go get this checked out. Um, so I, I went back and told my parents. And my mom was always just, man, if I had a bump on my head into the doctor, I'd go. Um, I mean, she was a stickler for going to the dentist, going to the doctor. And so in I went. And uh, the cardiologist says, yeah, you've got a slight heart murmur. It's not bad, but it's there probably born with it, may, may grow out of it. And so that's it. I, I didn't have to worry about going to Vietnam. Um, I felt somewhat weird about not going, not that I wanted to, yeah. but, you know, years went by, years went by. And then at the age of 31, I was approached by some uh, military folks in St. Louis, and they said, look, we are offering direct commissions uh, we put you on a list. It goes to the president and it goes to Congress, and they sign off on it. Uh, but we can get you in as an officer. And I said, "Well, you know, I, I had a four F deferment. I don't think I can get in." Um, so I went back to the doctor, and sure enough, that heart murmur was gone. And so I came back and I told them. They said, "Great, we'll get your direct commission." So they did, and I went in as a ensign uh in the navy and um immediately was promoted to a second lieutenant um and then from there i uh, got my full lieutenant stripes which is the equivalent of being a captain in the other branches of the military right navy does that strangely and i was one year away from uh being a lieutenant commander and that was uh after uh 10 years in the navy and uh, I had uh, decided, well, you know, I, I've done what I could do. Um, I'm working. My career's starting to explode. Uh, I want to concentrate on that. So, I, you know, I retired from the Navy. And I didn't get my full 20 years in, obviously. I got my nine and a half in. <laughs> and, and that was it. But that was my stint in the Navy, and I loved it. I uh, met some great guys. And at least I can always tell myself, Eldon, I did this. Yeah. I did this portion for my country, especially after getting that 4F deferment when I was younger. I mean, it was just something that was important to me. Uh, I was a public information officer. I mean, I didn't see any military combat or anything like that. But, uh, you know, that's, that's what I did, and I, and I loved every minute of it. And what you did was just as important. I mean, uh, for all intent and purposes, uh, it's very often your job to keep everybody else enthused, excited, motivated, and positive about, you know, the efforts of those people that are on the line. That's a very important job. 
uh, very important position. We have a break coming up, George, and I want to talk to you about conspiracies in this next hour and a half because there are so many out there and there is so much, as you say, going on in the world. Uh, so when we come back, you know, let's you, your new book, uh, Someone is Hiding Something. What happened to Malaysia Airlines Flight 370? I just I just read that, and you know it 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 asks a lot of really important questions. When we come back, let's take that one on if it's all right with you. You got it. We're speaking with Mr. George Nury, the one and only George Nury, about his life, work, and one of a kind radio show, Coast to Coast AM. I said this once, tongue-in-cheek, but I'm going to say it again, full conscious. If there's only one radio show you listen to, listen to Coast to Coast AM. To learn more about George and Coast to Coast, visit his website, coasttocoastam.com. Okay, remember to join Ravinder and Andrea in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicki wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Take my whole life too. 
Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with George Nury about his life, work, books, and one-of-a-kind radio show, Coast to Coast AM. Now, before the break, I said a bit tongue-in-cheek. I had said if there was only one. What I meant by tongue-in-cheek was it was really a Freudian slip. George was on my show, and I closed it as we wrapped up the show, and it came out, and it was like, wait, now, wait a minute. I want him to listen to provocative enlightenment, but it is true. If you're going on if you're only going to listen to one, Coast to Coast is a show to listen to. Now, we ask our guests for three pieces of music, three of their favorites, music that has some genuine significance to them. Music is more important to us than many recognize. Music can awaken forgotten memories and its restored lost states of consciousness. Indeed, music psychology is a field of research today with practical relevance for many areas including investigations of human aptitude, skill, intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. As such, there can be a great deal of self-disclosure in the selection of one's favorite music. All right, George, we just played Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis. Why is this one special to you, and how does it instruct us about who you are? Well, i got to tell you, uh, Eldon's, uh, the, the bumper music that uh, you're going to be playing today, uh, are some of my favorites that I play on Coast to Coast, but more importantly, these are some of the songs that I sing live at my stage show events. Uh, oh, really? Band, I didn't know you sang. Oh, sure. Wise men. See, that's, that's me. And, you know, I have loved these songs since I was a youngster and would practice them and sing. Part of the other part of the George Norrie life was I've been in a lot of live shows, musicals, and plays. And, you know, that's another facet of this Gemini with his two personalities. Uh, <laughs> I always wanted to do some acting and have some fun. So I do that. When we do these live stage shows, and uh, we've got to get you as one of them. I know you were on our Beyond Belief television show, but... For example, June 6th, uh, I'm going to be live in Vancouver, British Columbia at an event, and I'm going to sing some of these songs. So that's another little facet of George and Ori that people in know Vancouver. at these live events. Okay, where where will I learn more? Because, I mean, I can run up to Vancouver. I've got to see this. June 6th, Vancouver, where do I learn more? Where, you got it okay. on your website? All you have to do, you go to my website, coast2coastam.com, at the top, there's a little icon that says events. You click that, and my my schedule for the moment is all posted there. And so you'll see the Vancouver event. There's one in Toronto coming up. Um, and where I'm going to be and where do I speak, uh, it's all over the country and all over Canada. And so that's where you'll find it. Cool. I'm going to have to do it. Ravinder, are you into this one? Yep, sounds great to me. Get us up to Vancouver. I've got to hear George (laughs) sing. All right. Okay, before the break, I suggested that we should talk about uh, the Malaysian flight. But before we get into that, you know, for everybody out there, there are a lot of conspiracy theories. George, how do you discern what you should pay attention to and what is just some poppycock idea, you know, that, somebody has out there how do you how do you decide which ones to pay attention to that's a great question because some conspiracy theorists believe that everything 
that happens is a conspiracy, and that's just not the case. Uh, I mean, I'm at odds with some people over the very tragic Sandy Hook shooting uh, at the school, and, you know, they said it was a setup, it was a conspiracy, it never happened, and I'm saying uh, you have a lot of parents with dead kids. Um, that's unbelievable. You can't believe that that happens. Part of the problem with conspiracies and conspiracy theorists is that they have grown not to trust anything, and and you can't do that. I mean, you you have to look at every case, whether it's 9-11, and analyze it to figure out what's going on, but not everything is a conspiracy. The Boston bombing at the, at the, uh, at the marathon was done by two sick brothers, and, you know, there wasn't any government mind control involved here or anything like that. Now, right. to say this, and this is what makes it even more confusing, it's conceivable that some members in government would come up with these kinds of things in order to do what they need to do to further their own agenda. And that fine line that people who look at conspiracies need to look at and understand. Not everything is a, a conspiracy. You can look at it quickly and say, well, why did this happen? But move on and, and let you know logic take over. Um, ISIS, for example, were they created by us? Maybe. Maybe that got out of hand, got out of control. I mean, originally, we wanted to get Assad out of Syria. So we started funneling these people. Mm -hmm. um, the the Al-Qaeda group used to be called the Mujahideen in Afghanistan to get the mm -hmm. Soviets out of there. Guess who funded them? We yeah. did. Okay. So, you know, so where there's a conspiracy thought, there is some basis there that you have to look at. But again, I've got to emphasize, not everything is a conspiracy. Right. But, you know, historically, of course, things get complicated because we can look back at, you know, material that is declassified, has been made available through Freedom of Information Act. And we can see activities like Group 40, which we'll talk about today when we talk about the Kennedy assassination, where we actually had agents who were assassins. It's not a TV movie. This is this is what they did. And, of course, you know, you have all these other so-called conspiracies that we now know aren't conspiracies, like MKUltra, uh, for that matter, the Tuskegee uh, inoculations of black men, giving them, you know, well, you know the whole story. So when you have a little bit of fanning of the flames by way of history, it seems to further complicate how you sort through this material. At least that's what I find, George. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, and again, that's what I was alluding to, that it's very confusing to determine what's a conspiracy and what is not, because so many things are going on in this planet in so many different directions. Uh, you, and you look at everything. You, got, you, you, you always have to say, who, who benefits? Why did this happen? Um, are there sick people on this planet? Absolutely. Are they capable of doing these heinous things? Yes, they are. But what's the other motivation? You know, Kennedy, for example, no question in my mind, 
Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone. Was he part of it? Yeah. Was he a patsy? He says he was. You know, they may have told him, look, we need you to be here on such and such a day to do this. And yeah. there he was. But there's far more to that story than meets the eye. We're going to jump in there. I don't want you to get ahead of me, though. Let's get back to Malaysia. What happened to our missing Malaysian heir? March 8th, 2014, this plane with 200-plus people aboard merely disappears after flying all over the Indian Ocean in various areas with with certain kinds of tracking devices turned off. It was one of the strangest cases I've ever heard, and it still is. And they can't find this plane. They find others, they find them quickly, but they can't find this plane. So in our book with Richard Belzer, the actor, and David Wayne, an author, someone is hiding something. We come up with nine different possibilities and scenarios, and even though some are far-fetched, like it got gobbled up by a UFO. Um, that That is minuscule, by the way, in terms of the possibilities. But we had to look at everything, because until they find this plane, and I'm not sure they ever will, anything's possible. Well, let's explore some of those possibilities. Do you think that it really could have been taken over remotely? We, I mean, we have that technology. It, it's possible. You can't rule it out. I mean... Um, there were a number but if it, of, were take, if it were taken over remotely, I guess the, the thing would be, what is the motive? The, let's, let's assume for the moment the plane is gone. Now, you've got 200 people that you're going to have to do something with, and so I assume you're just going to dispose of them. What, what would be the motive? Are we going to arm it up and fly it back into the towers? I mean, in your mind, what is the motive for some activity behind the scenes that would have given rise to the disappearance of this plane? Well, first of all, it's kind of ironic that when most terrorist activities occur, these terrorists always want credit for it. Mm-hmm. Nobody has come forward to say, we did this. Yeah. That's red flag number one. Number two, there were some high-level, technologically inclined people on the plane who apparently have been developing certain kinds of weapon systems, did they need to be eliminated? And did some rogue government who had the capability of doing this, did they need to do that? And or did somebody need that plane to use later in some kind of situation? What we believe, and all these possibilities, again, are possible, what we believe is that the plane was taken landed somewhere, maybe Diego Garcia, maybe Somalia, and then we found out about it. We knew about it. We were tracking it, and we said, this plane is not getting into the hands of these people, and we had to take it out. We did not take it out over the ocean because pieces of rubble would have been found, bodies, suitcases, wings, tails, it's not there. It's just yeah. not there. And this it doesn't plane, make any Go This ahead, plane landed somewhere, Eldon, and was, dis- in my opinion, was destroyed by us because we were not going to let it get into the hands of whoever took it. 
Interesting. So that would, I mean, that would probably explain why Diego Garcia came out right away and said, uh, we haven't seen the plane. Because, exactly. I mean, why would they do so otherwise? This is one of the most baffling missing plane stories we will ever in our lifetime come across. Do you yeah. think it it relates at all to flight MH17 uh, that was shot down, um, the other Malaysian airline that we lost uh, over the Ukraine last summer? Well, when that happened, my initial thought was, this is the plane. This is the missing plane. Uh-huh. Um, and then I kind of ruled that out, and I subsequently found out that this plane, MH717, was built at the same time 370 was built. They were like brother-sister planes. That's weird, all by itself. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that, that those two happening so quickly together, uh, very strange. I mean, you just got to shake your head saying, what is going on? What is happening? But... But there was a time, I mean, I've got to honestly tell you, I thought that was that missing plane, the MH370, that had uh, resurrected again, and they took it out. But uh, subsequently, I've, I've come to believe it was just a separate plane. Okay, so let me see if I've got this one straight. You believe that we took the plane out to keep it out of the hands of a foreign country who, for whatever reason, may have wanted... Um, engineers or scientists that were aboard the plane, or or they wanted the plane, or they wanted, and the we plane. and we and we were not going to let that plane get in the hands of anybody. We followed that plane, we tracked it, we knew exactly where it was going, and once it landed, um, the passengers, I believe, were already dead. We didn't kill them. Um, that plane had gone up to forty-four thousand feet, uh, and if. Uh, anybody would shut off the oxygen they were all dead yeah. um, and and so once that plane landed um, we, we look we have satellites Eldon that can read your license plate on your right car uh, we, we knew where that plane is and here's another thing that people haven't been told in the media the engines and they were Rolls-Royce engines on MH370 have their own tracking devices within them not just the plane, but the engines. They know exactly when and where those engines were and where they are and what happened. So we carefully plotted, found the plane, and in my opinion, we had to destroy it. Wow. All right. Well, then, let's move on to the Kennedy assassination. I learned, you know, from Tom, your producer, uh, that you're an expert on the Kennedy assassination. Uh, and, there, and there are a number of large gaps in the scenario. Much of what's offered to the public is questionable, to say the least. So, if we can, let's look at this one systematically. The sequence, number and direction of shots that were fired in Texas still remains a subject for debate, with many believing the official government version to just be implausible. I know that you have read the Zapruder, uh, or you've seen the Zapruder film, have you not? The the Zapruder film, yep, I've seen it frame by frame. I have seen that film. Uh, This was a film taken by Abraham Zapruder, 
who was just a resident, who was just there to watch the president go by. And in those days, they had little 8-millimeter film cameras, and they'd have video and smartphones like we do today. Right. And, uh, and he was standing up there just filming at the right time when the president was shot. All right. Tell us about what that film shows that is inconsistent with this single bullet theory. Well, the, the, the film obviously shows three shots fired at the president, hitting him in the neck, uh, hitting John Connolly, and then another one that hit him as well. The single bullet theory is that the bullet that went through the president's throat also hit John Connolly, hit him in the arm and the shoulder, and that just doesn't hold water with me. Um, there were and there was a triangular shoot against the president from three different angles, including the school book depository, the grassy knoll, and some other region out there. Uh, triangular shoots are set up by assassins when they don't want to miss and their plan was not to miss. And they all fired at radio uh, transmission moments. You know, now fire, boom. Right. And they all and they all did. You know, Kennedy. Kennedy was doomed the minute he was in that that car. Um, they blew his head off. Um, you have uh, pictures from the Zapruder film of Jackie Onassis Kennedy crawling on the back of the Lincoln Continental, not to get away. She was trying in her panic of picking up brain matter of her husband to try to put it back into his head. I mean, it was that gross and, and that unbelievable. You know, one of the things that I found really interesting about that film is that from the direction the car is moving and the position of where the book depository is, it's not possible for a shot to have hit Kennedy in the head and have his head whip backwards. And and isn't that what you see in the film, is that his head snaps backwards? You know, when this happened, some uh, experts say, oh, that's, that's a whiplash. That's normal. When you get hit from the back, that's body's way of reacting. I don't think so. To me, the force of gravity is... If you're hit and your head goes backward, it's because something from the front pushed you back and hit it. And and the Zapruder film clearly shows the president's neck snapping back and head snapping back. Uh, to me, that shot came from the grassy knoll. It came from the front. Yeah. Okay. Oliver Stone remarked on CNN that most of the witnesses saw a huge exit wound on the back of his right skull. They, they, they emphasize huge. They described the cerebellum falling out uh, through the skull at the hospital, Parkland Hospital, just as you have described with Jackie trying to put it back in. What happened to the president's brain. That just seems to have disappeared. It, it wasn't in the autopsy. Uh, what do you think happened there? The story I have heard, Eldon, is that the family, the Kennedy family, mm -hmm. did not want that brain um, looked at, probed, on display, 
and so they had it they had it comfortably taken away it's probably in some jar somewhere that some family member has in his closet um i don't know why to me it's a piece of evidence um the other theory was that the brain itself would prove that the shots came from a different direction and that's another really distinct possibility this conspiracy was a coup d'etat it was the ability for those in government to take over the country to get rid of an individual who whether you liked his personal lifestyle or not and he was flamboyant believe me but they needed to get rid of a guy who wanted to get out of vietnam who wanted to change the federal reserve who did not want to go back and get castro uh, Everything was against him. Everything. Every organization was against him. The CIA, the mafia, everybody was out to get this guy. Uh, you the don't out the beer Jimmy, Jimmy Hoffa hated him, hated his brother, hated Kennedy. I mean, you had all these groups that wanted him out. And, I mean, he was doomed. He was absolutely doomed. One of the theories I've heard on the brain, and, and I want to go to this coup d'etat in just a minute, but one of the theories I heard on the brain was that the Kennedy family did not want uh, some disease discovered that the brain was suffering, that the president was suffering from. Have you heard that one, George? Uh, I had heard that. I have discounted it. Uh, of course, he also had this bad back situation and and, and that, but... Um, I, I, I don't think that was the reason for the hiding of the brain at all. Yeah, I, I don't either, but I thought I'd ask. All right, we've got another break coming up. When we come back, I want to talk to you very directly about Lyndon Baines Johnson. Uh, there have been films made. His uh, mistress, Madeline Duncan Brown, outed Johnson as intimately involved with the JFK's assassination and E. Howard Hunt, the infamous Watergate plumber, provided a deathbed confession stating that the CIA and Group 40 conspired all of this. So when we come back, I'm going to ask you about that. If you would like to know more about George Nury and his incredible radio program, Coast to Coast AM, or his television show, Beyond Belief, and or his books, and or his live shows that I just learned about, check out his website at coasttocoastam.com. Now, we have a video for you during the break featuring George discussing the Kennedy assassination on his TV show, Beyond Belief. You can check it out by joining the chat room. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With InnerTalk, Eldon Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. InnerTalk works by priming how you talk to yourself, and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals, anything becomes possible. Visit www.innertalk.com to find your towel today. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Time 
after time I tell myself that I'm so lucky to be loving you so lucky to be the one you run to see in the evening when the day is through I tell myself that I'm so lucky to be loving you so lucky to be the one you run to see years will show you've kept my love so young so new in time after time you'll hear me say that I'm so Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with George Nury about his life, work, books, television show, and one-of-a-kind radio program, Coast to Coast AM. Now, George, I I should ask you to just sing this one for us now that I know you sing, because it's one of my all-time favorites. But flesh out for us why the songs you have chosen. I mean... they, they, there's a there is a common theme here, and it seems to be a romance theme. Well, you know, there's it, it's a love affair. It's a love affair, Alden, with life. And um, you know, I I was raised listening to that kind of music, uh, and as I got a little older, I, I really you know appreciated it. Look, I'm a I'm a kid from the Beatles era. And, you know, like that kind of music and everything else. But there's something about the old ballad types, the Sinatras, the Bobby Darins, uh, the Engelbert Humperdinks, those kinds of folks that, you know, just have great music and, and great messages. And, uh, and to me, it's it's soothing. And, uh, and I love them. And, uh, hey, you know what? Come out to my live events, uh, the specific stage shows, and listen to me sing. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna do through, that, George. Yeah, I promise you. I, after you hear me sing. Oh no, no, no! I wouldn't do that. But I promise you, I'm gonna come listen to you sing. I, they're the crooners, and and I so agree with you that they, there's just a, a quality to what they, you know, the feeling that they produce in you that it's a love affair with life for sure. 
Okay, before the break, I said I was going to ask you about uh, the big one, Lyndon Baines Johnson. Did he have a direct involvement in your view? Probably, probably did. I mean, he was one of those who had a lot to gain. He hated the Kennedys, even though he was their vice president. And, uh, you know, he was heard talking to his secretary one day saying, basically, uh, you know, we've got those Kennedys. They're not going to, you know, uh, bother us anymore. And, uh, you know, he he had a lot to gain. And, uh, I, you know, this happened in his home state of Texas. It was just too too weird. And as you know, Eldon, I do not believe in coincidences. And uh, for all these things to occur at that time, um, nah, there's there's something else going on. And so did he have a direct role? That's possible. And uh, did he have a lot to gain? Absolutely. And what happened after that? The Vietnam War continued, got bigger and bigger and bigger uh, to the point where even Johnson realized he needed out and decided uh, not to seek re-election when he had that, uh, you know, that ability to do that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I come down a long time ago that there's no way this went down as a single shooter, and Lyndon Baines Johnson had to be intimately involved in it. And I think the evidence pretty well points that way, uh, as you've pointed out, including you know direct testimony now from folks who would have been on the inside and would have therefore known. Yep. Okay. Here's a real controversial part of this whole story, George. It has to do with the so-called cleanup squad, you know, the assassination team that made doggone sure that there wasn't anyone, witnesses, etc., that could refute the story of a single shooter. So, you, you, you know, from 1963 to 1976, we have all these people who have been murdered, uh, commit suicide, die in strange ways. Uh, uh, what do you think? Uh, was there a cleanup squad? Were uh, potential witnesses, former employees of the Warren uh, Reynolds uh uh, commissioner of the, of the yeah. Warren Report. Yeah, Warren Report. Were they taken out? There were a lot of witnesses to the Kennedy assassination that strangely died to the point where those numbers seem astronomical. I mean, you don't have that amount of people at a specific episode die. And uh, some of them died tragically, some of them died what would seem to be naturally. Uh, but the fact is, they died. And, yeah. you know, if, if you have uh, 100 witnesses and a high percentage of them die, there's something weird going on here. And I think you could honestly say that with th- this case, the Kennedy assassination. Witnesses died. Uh, they were eliminated. And now, you know, we're at a point now, that's, this happened in 1963, a lot of those people are gone. I mean... Uh, the players involved in it are gone. And, uh, you know, E. Howard Hunt, of course, who was implicated in the Watergate scandal during the Nixon era, on his deathbed told his son um, there was a major league involvement of Johnson and himself and everything else. Um, 
for anybody to think that there was not a conspiracy here to get rid of Kennedy, they are very, very wrong. I totally agree. Now, let me ask you about Jack Zangretti and, and Ruby. Uh, Zangretti expressed foreknowledge of Rudy, uh, Ruby shooting Oswald. And then himself, he was shot. He became a gunshot victim in 1963, December of 63. Do you think Ruby was a part of the whole conspiracy scheme? Yeah, uh, there's no doubt. He was part of it. Uh, he had knowledge of it, um, and it was his role, of course. Uh, if anything ever went awry, he was part of the cleanup crew. And uh, he knew he had cancer, and so he didn't have much to lose. And so he took out Oswald, who may have then said to people, he, he may Oswald may have gotten to the point where he was going to talk. I mean, he already said he was a patsy, Um that was clearly recorded on film when he was being let out of the Dallas Police Department. And Ruby was a part of this thing. He, uh, he did what he had to do. He was, to, he was told to get rid of Oswald, and he did. Um, I, I just think it's so bizarre that people like, like Ruby could be down there, whether he knew, knew the cops or not. I mean, that, this just doesn't happen. No. I mean, it just—it was just strange. But yeah, I think Ruby was part of it from the get-go. Okay, so then I, I've got one more question on the Kennedy uh, matter, uh, and and that's simply Robert Kennedy. Um, you know, Robert Kennedy was the Attorney General. He was his—you know—John uh, F. Kennedy's brother, and um, he later ran himself uh, or prepared to run. Uh, and he was assassinated. Now, as Attorney General, as a Kennedy, close to all of this, there's no doubt but what he wouldn't have suspected a conspiracy. Um, do you think that Robert Kennedy's assassination was collateral to his brother's assassination? Yes. They could not, they could not and would not allow another Kennedy to run for president, and Robert Kennedy probably would have won. Um, may not have been the best candidate, but he had the enthusiasm of the American people and the sympathy of the American yeah. people, and he would have won. And there was no way those people who had eliminated his brother five years before that would have allowed this to happen again, and so he had to be taken out. Okay, that's kind of where I got to. It's just, it's a, a sad part of American history. Is there anything that you'd like to add on the Kennedy assassination, something I've missed before we go ahead? Well, we've never been the same ever since that happened. I mean, I was 13 years old when that happened. I remember my English teacher, Miss Leonard, coming in crying. Nobody knew what the heck was going on. Um, my parents were crying. I mean, we, when that tragedy occurred, and whether you like Kennedy's politics or not, that's not the episode. The, the, the fact is, is that there was a coup d'etat in this country, a country that is supposed to be free, a country that is supposed to be uh, under an incredible democracy. We lost control that day, Eldon, and we have yeah. never gotten it back. So that's why when I do Coast to Coast almost every night, and yeah, sure, it, it's entertaining. And we'll have fun. We'll talk about Bigfoot and ghosts and things. But we also talk about real-life episodes, real conspiracies that are happening. 
and I'm not going to permit it. For as long as I live, I'm going to at least try to let the American people know that there is a way that we can fight back so that these people who took over the country in 1963 with the industrial military complex aren't going to continue doing that to us. They have the upper hand right now, and they've had it since that date. But, you know, we're more aware today, and with social networking and the ability to communicate instantly, they know they got a problem. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how they try to maneuver their way through this. Amen. I so second that. I have a. I remember exactly where I was when Kennedy was assassinated. I, it was an unbelievable episode. If you thought the towers at 9/11 were shocking, there was nothing, nothing that I've seen in my life more shocking than the Kennedy assassination. And uh, the TV cameras were rolling. And uh, I have a picture of John F. Kennedy in my. Uh, dining area where I have coffee every morning and uh, you know I, I look at the man and, and I think just what you just said you know um, whatever happened then at that very moment uh, changed the course of this country and most people are just simply not aware of it and uh, and they're just not aware of how deep all these tentacles go in terms of how much control they now have over the way we think, what we do, what we anticipate, what we plan, da-da-da-da-da-da. You're an expert in subliminal messaging. What they've been doing to us since 1963 is far worse than even that, isn't it? It is. It's far, far worse, yeah. Uh, you've, you've read my new book. In fact, you've endorsed it. Thank you very much. It'll yep. be out yet this year. Uh, sheeple, that's what they made out of us. And I, I don't really like that word, but you know, when I look for a better one, there just wasn't one. So, um, but I admire what you do, my friend. I genuinely do, and I really appreciate it. And, uh, so I, I have to ask this one now. You know, this is provocative enlightenment, and, and we try and balance things. There's something, George, that's called the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. I'm sure you know about it, but, you know, it's committed when differences in data are ignored, but similarities are stressed. So, for example, David McRaney, in his book, You Are Not So Smart, provides a, a sort of, uh, here it is, example. He says, Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy were both presidents of the United States, elected 100 years apart. Both were shot and killed by assassins who were known by three names with 15 letters, John Wilkes Booth and Lee Harvey Oswald, and neither killer would make it to trial. Lincoln had a secretary named Kennedy, and Kennedy had a secretary named Lincoln. They were both killed on a Friday while sitting next to their wives, Lincoln in the Ford Theater, Kennedy in a Lincoln made by Ford. Both men were succeeded by a man named Johnson, Andrew for Lincoln, and Lyndon for Kennedy. Andrew was born in 1808, Lyndon in 1908. Now, one might say, what are the odds? So here's the deal. You can search through data, and you can pull it out, but if what you do is ignore the dissimilar aspects, then, you know, it's somewhat akin to having someone just shoot the whole, you know, load of ammunition at a barn wall. And then when you know, they're all done, walk over and draw a circle around a tight pattern that you see on that barn wall and say, wow, what a sharpshooter. 
Do you think it's possible, George, in all fairness, that that's being done with the Kennedy assassination in our conversation right now? No. Uh, I, I think uh, truly Kennedy was, uh, was killed by a number of people uh, who had their own agenda, uh, and they set out to do this, and they did a great job covering it up. This is not like the uh, Texas sharpshooter fallacy, where, as you correctly pointed out, started off as a joke about a Texan who fired bullets against his barn, and then in order to make himself look like he was a great sharpshooter, painted the target around his shot. Um, the Kennedy assassination, in my mind, was truly uh, a conspiracy of people, and they accomplished what they needed to do. And they've never stopped since. And you have considered the dissimilar and similar aspects of all of this in coming to your conclusion. Yes, absolutely. That's okay. That's what I wanted. Okay. All right. Now I'm gonna. You know, I, I would be uh, amiss if I just didn't take advantage of you, my friend, while you're here on this show to discuss a number of other sure. conspiracies out there. Okay. You you got to be the expert on it because no one talks to as many people as you have talked to regarding everything from GMO safety to uh, what's going on with chemtrails or vaccines. So let me ask you this. Right now, there's some 71 bankers that have died since 2014 in rather suspicious circumstances. We've discussed that on the show, on this show, a little bit in the past. Most of them, North America, Europe, a few from Asia, and many of them top executives from companies like J.P. Morgan. <clears throat> some of them have been ruled as suicides, and some of them are just uh, unknown. And you've got to have a theory on this one. What's going on with our bankers? The bankers and some biotech scientists as well, Eldon, are okay. dying at an astronomically high rate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, bankers who will jump out of buildings, um, <laughs> I mean, jump off uh, buildings so uh, roofs. It's just weird. What's going on? What do they know? What do they hide that would want to, uh, would have them kill themselves? That's the big story. That's the big puzzle. Are right. they and were they aware of some kind of financial horror story that could unfold in the not-too-distant future, uh, of which would have included them, that's very possible, too. Uh, whatever is going on is of so much significance and scope that these people have to be eliminated or they kill themselves. Um, I just, I haven't figured it out yet, but if it's true that they're all connected uh, then there's one huge story about to unfold about the world's financial markets. And and these people probably were in the know, and they didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah, it well, I, I concur. There has to be. There's just no way that this is a coincidence. I, But I didn't know about the uh, tech folks. Flesh that out for me a little bit. What's going on there? We have the same for, kinds for of... For 10 years, well over 50 top scientists have died. Strangely, suicides, 
you know, I I think there's going to be some kind of bioterror attack, and these are the kinds of scientists who could have been able to create a cure, and they needed to be eliminated. And systematically, they're being killed. Stephen Quayle does a great job at isolating some of these cases, but I think I think they're well over 50 now over the last 10 years. That's strange. Yeah, to say the least. All right, but you don't have a theory on it. It's it's just you know I don't know what to say. It's the conspiracy people basically are saying that they expect an impending bank crisis, and you're saying that we're going to have some bio warfare event. Uh, I guess that leads me to the next conspiracy question. Population control. Uh, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that are saying, um, you know, we just have too many people on this planet and the powers that be are going to thin them out. Your thoughts on that one, George? Well, we got a lot of people on this planet, over 7 billion people now. And, uh, you know, we're starting to get to the point where it's difficult to be able to feed them and to take care of them. We have a massive drought in California. We can't afford more and more people. So somebody along the line came up with a plan that, you know, we need to get the population down. And the number I have heard worldwide has been to get it down to 500 million people. They think that is a very manageable, sustainable number. So we've got 7 billion. They want to get us down to 500 million 6.5 billion people eliminated or they die. And that's the plan if you believe in this theory. And how do they do it? Do they do it with attrition? Do they do it with sterilization? Do they do it with vaccines? Who knows? But I think that they would love to be able to create some disease and let it out. And, of course, they would have the antidote already. They'd be okay and wipe out, you know, 6.5 billion of us in order to get this Earth level to a sustained point. Okay. You know, the big question comes, of course, they. Uh, It's always difficult to identify the they. I know that. In my own work, I just try and follow the money. Uh, When you refer to they, who are you referring to, George? You know, we could be specific with they, uh, but without direct evidence, uh, one would open themselves up to all kinds of issues and problems, obviously. So to me, they would be the controlling, ruling people beyond governments, beyond presidents. These would be people who are so wealthy, so wealthy, that they could do just about anything that they want, and they do. And most of us... You know, if we had to sit back and say, hey, I think this could be one of them, you're probably right. Probably right. Hmm. All right. Tell me about chemtrails. Are we are we altering our environment, changing our weather, and does that have anything to do with Iran's uh, sudden water shortage, dry lakes, and so forth? Chemtrails, not to be confused with jet contrails, uh, have to do with spraying of the atmosphere to control something. We believe 
it's to control and modify weather. Maybe they've created the drought in California in order to push the price of produce to record levels. Maybe they have created it to attack other governments and destroy them, creating typhoons, creating droughts there as well. Uh, We're convinced, those people who have been on coast to coast, that chemtrails have been going on for a number of years and that it has to do with some kind of weather manipulation and modification. And, uh, you know, you can just see it every day. You look up in the sky and you see these bizarre tic-tac-toe patterns that clearly I, I hate to cut you off, but I don't want to get kicked out by the computer either. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about weaponizing chemtrails or this weather stuff. We're glad you tuned in today. We know you have many choices, and we're grateful you chose to join us. We love your feedback, so please join me on Facebook or drop me an email at Eldon at EldonTaylor.com. I love sharing your letters and comments on the show, and that's a great way for you to participate. We'll be right back following this short break. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. The changes I've seen in my life are truly a blessing. InnerTalk has given me the tools to repair deep-seated beliefs that constantly worked against me. I find myself happier and more successful since I've used the InnerTalk programs. I encourage you to discover the power of your beliefs by visiting www.innertalk.com and selecting your title for change. Hi, I'm Eldon Taylor, and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at EldonTaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by... Joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor, that's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now, back to the show.
Welcome back. We've been chatting with George Nury about his life, work, books, television show, one-of-a-kind radio program, Coast to Coast AM, his singing and live performances, and so much more. I think I've learned more about the man in this two hours than I've known in, well, I know I have learned more than than I've known uh, in the years that I've been visiting with George. In this half hour, we will take your calls. So if you have questions, give us a call or adventure comments and questions in our chat room. And remember, I love your feedback, and a great place for that is on Facebook. So I invite you to join me there today. All right, George. Obviously, you're still the one, my man. You're the yeah. guy. Uh, that's your third musical choice. Uh, it, it says you're still the one. You're still standing beside me. You're still my better half. What, what's going on with that? Is this just I love to sing the music, or have you got a better half? That's a that that's a message story. That's that's a story of we're still the one. You know, we've been uh, we've been doing this now for twelve and a half years. Uh, the show has grown to six hundred radio affiliates uh, across North America, Eldon, and. It, continues to be the number one rated late night talk show that's what that song means we're still the one and we're going to just keep giving that kind of programming to folks and uh and keep building this show and uh taking it to new levels we've got a major announcement coming up in about three weeks which i'll let you know at the time and uh we're just going to keep making this program exciting and uh, entertaining and uh, in there for people seeking the truth well, that's great. You're going to have to come back on the show and tell us about that major announcement. But I while will do we're that. on this, good. While we're on this subject, you know, I'm a coast insider, and I and I think a lot of people, my listening audience particularly, because they're not likely to be the late night folks out there, um, they would really benefit from Coast Insider. You know. Tell us about the member program and how they can access the archives and, you know, and, and really participate in in your show, Coast to Coast, uh, like I do. Share that with us. Well, it's the greatest deal in town, I think. It's 15 cents a day. Uh, what we want to do primarily is cover the company's uh, broadband expenses, uh, and it's just priced at uh, about five bucks a month for people, where they can listen to the program whenever they want. They can uh, podcast, so the program's waiting for them in the morning. They can download years' worth of past programs. They can participate in our Coast Insider chats. Once a month, I'm on the computer, and people uh, sit down with me, and we just chat about stuff, uh, personal programming. And it's just a great way of being part of the club, the Coast Insiders Club, as we call it. And for people who are interested in signing up or getting it as a gift for someone, you just go to our website, coasttocoastam.com, and there's a section there that says Coast Insider, and you just fill it out. And uh, Lots of people worldwide are members, and uh, and they love it. And also, Elvin, we have a free app available to everybody, either in the, your iPhone store or your Google store, and you can pick it up. Uh, there's no cost at all for that, and uh, just pick up the app and uh, just become part of the program. It is a great program, and I personally uh, would tell everybody out there, do that. Uh, 
That's how I listen to Coast to Coast uh, most of the time. Uh, if I'm Luca, uh, Luca Brading late at night, well, I've got Coast on in the background. But um, I can tell you this, it's a, a great value. And uh, and if you want to stay at pace, all these kinds of issues, I don't know any place to go besides Coast to Coast where you're going to get the quality information, the in-depth uh, material, and, and share with like-minded people. So... Uh, for what it's worth, I, uh, I, I'd recommend it. I suggest it too. All right, <clears throat> we were talking about chemtrails before the break, and I and I basically set it up as I'd like to know your opinion on the weaponization of this technology, uh, particularly of late when we see that things with Iran are really interesting. I mean, we're supposedly cutting a deal, yet we're escorting ships through the, you know, Hormuz Straits. Uh, you know, we we seem to be toe-to-toe ready to go to war at any minute, and uh, and suddenly they have a huge drought. Uh, and, and they're pointing fingers at the United States. What do you think on that? Well, you know what? Anything's possible. Uh, and, uh, you know, Iran is still a problem. And I, I will say this categorically, that the population of Iran, most of those people love America. They love our Western way of life. They wish they could all do it. Uh, after the Shah was deposed, a lot of Iranians came to this country, um, California specifically, Beverly Hills in particular, uh, very wealthy individuals, and they love it here in the United States and America. Here's my problem with Iran. Whenever you have a country that has said literally that Israel needs to be removed from the face of the map uh, and that they deny that the Holocaust occurred where six million Jews were slaughtered and butchered and killed by the Nazis, i got a problem with that because, you know, historically, history should tell you you know, these tragedies have occurred, and they could occur. And, and I've got to tell you, as a lifelong supporter of Israel, I can understand how skittish they are cutting deals with nations who have threatened you publicly to annihilate you. I mean, if Iran were smart, these mullahs had a brain, they would simply sit back and say, let's create some peace, let's get this done for all of us, you have a right to exist. Let's farm out something and get a homeland for the Palestinians, which is a critical issue for those poor people, and let's get this planet going again. Except we continue to hear hate, 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 murder, mayhem, and denial. And, uh, you know, what, what is Israel going to do faced with that? If you had a neighbor, Eldon, who threatened you, who said, you know what, one day I'm going to eliminate you, you know what? You're going to be a little cautious before you allow that guy to have a gun in his hand, aren't you? Hey, man, you're preaching to the choir here. I think it's absolutely foolish that we're even talking to Iran about anything uh, without insisting that they stop sponsoring terrorism around the world and recognizing Israel. I, just, I, I, I can't wrap my head I don't even comprehend how someone can support any treaty with uh, Iran short of those prerequisites I, I, I just can't I don't I mean, in 1948 the United Nations carved out Israel and they displaced Palestinians when they did that of course it was called Palestine um, 
The mistake they all made back in 48 was they should have carved out a comfortable homeland for the Palestinians as well, and they did not do that. Uh, we have an obligation to do that as well, and every every nation needs to step up at the plate and do something. Heck, give them now part of our, our Iraq. That's in, that's decimated as it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, do something. It's for sure we need to do something, but I don't think what we're attempting to do with Iran is is going to serve our purposes long term. It, it, I think it's going to serve the purposes of Iran and. Uh, and that's only going to lead to maybe another step in extinction. Uh, let's let's do this, George. We're going to run short of time, and I'm really selfish here. I've got phone lines, and I've got questions out of our chat room. But let's go to 9-11. You mentioned 9-11 earlier. Is 9-11, in your view, is, is it possibly an act of our government? I, I, I mean, I recently have seen films, and I'm sure you've seen them, that it would appear demolitions are going off in one of the towers. What are your thoughts on this? To answer the question specifically, was it an act of our government? Absolutely not. Was it an act of people who participated, who knew, uh, who helped plan? Very, very likely. Um, I think when we look at that picture of George Bush, when he was speaking to that, those kids in Florida and one of his aides whispered in his ear what had happened, he had a look of horror and terror on his face. He had no idea what was going on. But were there others next to him, close to him, that knew what was going to happen? I think that's very possible. We need to look at where we are today and who benefited during that tragedy. And there are a lot of organizations and groups. Uh, the Constitution's been whittled away. Homeland Security's been formed. Uh, money's been spent. There are a lot of people who benefited from the tragedy of 9-11. So my thoughts are that because we had a relationship with bin Laden, that uh, some groups got together and said, look, we're going we're gonna to turn the other way when you do this, because we're going to rebuild it anyway. And those 3,000 lives, well, they're gone. But you know what? Life continues. So in their minds, in their sick minds, everything's fine. Everything's the same. But they've changed everything. The game plan has changed. So what I think happened was, yes, bin Laden was part of it. And uh, in all these others, Sheikh Mohammed, uh, he was part of it. And some of the Afghans, they were part of it. And the 19 so-called Saudis who were aboard those four planes, right. they were part of it. But that there was another element of people who simply let it happen. We had way too much information about who these people were. And you mean to tell me a pristine passport of one of the hijackers shows up sitting there in the rubble in New York? Nah. I'm not going to buy it. Okay. So let me make sure I distill this out right. The planes themselves did not bring down the towers. There were, they had inside help. Um, a conspiracy was involved, but it was not directly our government, certainly not President Bush. We have three planes 
that hit one apparently the Pentagon, and one each hit the World Trade Center towers. Right. And one was, I think, shot down by us out of necessity in uh, Pennsylvania. I think you're right. Those, I mean, what are the odds of three buildings coming down and two of them are hit by planes? I just find that illogical. Buildings just don't collapse that way. Um, Something else happened. Dr. Judy Woods thinks it was a pulse weapon that took them down. I don't know. But Building 7, which is the strange card out of all this, collapsed and was not hit by a plane. And to me, there was controlled demolition there. All right. Let's move on to one that's dear to my pretty bride because she's from London, England, and just adored Princess Diana. Uh, There are a number of theories that Princess Diana was pregnant by her boyfriend and... uh, you know, the royal family wanted to themselves deal with this, just take her out. you have any thoughts on the Princess Diana conspiracies? I think the whole key to that episode was a letter that she had wrote sometime before this tragedy, talking about how she believed her husband was going to have her killed in some kind of automobile accident. Mm-hmm. Now, she was either very clairvoyant or she knew something. That letter is not being truly investigated because, I mean, Eldon, come on now. If you wrote that, you know what, I'm going to be killed in the future by somebody and this is how it's going to happen, and it happens that way, you better darn investigate it. And they're not doing it. Princess Diana was killed uh, in a conspiracy, and uh, what I think is they blinded, literally, the driver after he had been drugged, and uh, and the crash occurred, and uh, and she died. And the fact that she was in the ambulance, and it made a detour and waited for a little bit before rushing her to the hospital, is also bizarre. Um, so it, it sets up to me that they wanted her gone, um, and that's that's a tragedy. Do you think the fact that she had stated uh, that she planned on becoming a Muslim um, added fuel to the fire, had anything else to do with the motive? Probably. Probably was an undertone, uh, and she may have been pregnant. Um, and, you know, the royals just can't handle that. And, uh, and so out she went. But, again, that letter she wrote was telltaling about the fact that she thought she was going to be killed. Yeah, and as a former investigator, I'll tell you, that's the very first thing you'd pick up and follow you, that you wouldn't ignore that at all, and you would follow it with some tenacity, period, end of quotation. All right, there is a theory out there that AIDS is a man-made disease. That's very possible. Um, It was a disease created in Africa, uh, experimented on, um, whether it was released the way they wanted to release it, or that it got out of the laboratory, that's anybody's guess. Uh, but, but I think AIDS was indeed created, um, you know, not, not just to get people who were gay, but uh, was probably a biological um, to uh, really get into the population. And uh, I think that's, that's very probable. 
Okay, I'm going to jump the gun a little bit here because next week Jay Wiedner will be on the show and he'll flush this one out for us totally. But did Elvis really leave the building or did he just simply uh, fake his death? I think Elvis left the building. Uh, poor old guy was abusing drugs, um, died that horrible moment. I think it was 46 years old. Um, I don't think he faked his death. All right, I got one more, and then I'm going to have to go to the chat room phones. Uh, global warming, George. You know, a lot of controversy there. Is that a hoax? Uh, and, and when I say that, is that a hoax? I'm not talking about, you know, uh, the kind of natural warming that we might see in a uh, cyclical fashion, but uh, man-made global warming. Is that a hoax? I think it was contrived. Uh, this this planet is going through a uh, climatological change. The solar system is heating up. The sun is getting hotter, and I think that's affecting us. I think people are confusing pollution with man-made climate change. Nobody wants to see the planet polluted, but there's something else afoot here, uh, and this climate is changing, no doubt but it's not just caused by man. How does that really fit in, though, if we're engineering our own weather, uh, our climate, by uh, the use of chemtrails, uh, dumping aluminum and whatnot into the atmosphere? Uh, that would alter the weather patterns as well. And then, of course, the global warming argument would, at least Al Gore's portion of that, would cover up. Uh, maybe some of the unintended consequences as a result of the chemtrail efforts. Yes, no? Possible. Uh, possible. Uh, but I don't think that is solely the main reason why the climate is changing. You know, there are some people who believe that we are in the midst uh, right now of uh, a mini ice age. That's possible, too. So we've got warming. We've got cooling. I mean, we've had snow in areas that have uh, not supposed to have snowed uh, in certain months, they're talking about snow in Denver on Mother's Day, for crying out loud. Um, the, the, the planet is a-changing, there's no doubt. All right, I've got to jump over to the chat room here. Uh, we have a faithful chat room. They join us every week. Mark in the chat room says, Michael Shermer on your show said uh, this about conspiracy theories, that eventually there would be whistleblowers exposing them. What does George Nury think of Shermer's view? Well, I think being a skeptic is healthy. Uh, I think being overly skeptic is not. Um, Michael Shermer is pretty skeptical about a lot of things. Uh, and I, I think you need to look at every episode until you get the facts, until you get the data, and uh, you can be skeptical. And again, that's healthy. Um, but don't carry it on too long. You have to also have an open mind. You also have to have faith in certain things. And though one might say, I don't see any direct proof of God, you have to have some faith that there's something else going on in this universe. Uh, so as I tell folks like Michael Shermer, hey, you got to have an open mind. Come on. Okay. Richard says... Um I wonder what uh, Mr. Nuri has to say about Ed Dames and remote viewing. Ed's been on this show. I know he's been on your show several times. I like Ed Dames. Ed Dames, of course, we call him Dr. Doom. 
started off on Coast to Coast years before I took over, uh, continues to be a guest. Um, I'll call him out when he's not right, and he's admitted now that some of his remote viewing moments were wrong, or, as he says, his dates are wrong. And um, he has a very difficult time pinpointing a specific date or two. But he's also had some, he's had some hits. When the millionaire Stephen Fawcett and his single-engine uh, plane went down, uh, Ed predicted where it would be, and it was found there. Um, so, you know, he's, he's had some pretty good hits, too. Yeah, he continues to be very controversial. Uh, but he does, as you say, he has had some significant hits. All right, George, I want to give you the opportunity to tell everyone how they can learn more about you, uh, obtain your books, uh, find Coast to Coast. And if you give us about 30 seconds on that, I'd much appreciate it. Sure thing. Well, Coast to Coast, of course, uh, you can uh, hear us on just about any, uh, any market uh, in the country, in North America. You can find the stations next to you, again, by going to our website, coasttocoastam.com. Click stations at the top, and the map of the United States and North America opens up, and just click it. And it will show you exactly the station you can listen to, and, uh, and, it's, and it's great listening. We're on the air from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Pacific time, seven nights a week, and uh, we provide you with that kind of provocative programming that is so important for us to know. And uh, that's it. That's the program. And the website, coasttocoastam.com. All right. And I tell you, everybody out there, again, uh, if there's only one radio show, and I'm not putting mine down, I hope there's at least two, it's Coast to Coast AM. Well, thank you all uh, for being here. And, George, I can't, I can't express my gratitude to you for your willingness to share as openly as you have. I thank you uh, for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. We've all. come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. And uh, I hope you enjoyed our show. And we'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. And remember... If you have any comments on the show, do please let us know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.